are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. <laughs> I am so glad that you have uh, joined us today for worship, and I can't wait this morning to share God's Word with you. Um, this is our, our third and final series, sermon rather, in a series called Anxiety. And um, I believe God has some good things to say to us today. Now, next week, I'm going to be starting a series from the book of Acts. You understand that those early believers experienced history's most defining moment, the resurrection of Jesus. And they knew that they could never go back to life as it was before. We have experienced a much lesser historical defining moment, but our eyes too have been open. And we realize that we cannot go back to the way life was before. You're going to be amazed at how God's word that was written 2,000 years ago speaks so clearly into our situation today. So can't wait to get started with you next week in a series called We Can't Go Back. You know, some businesses have been reopening and... uh, It's forcing the question about churches reopening. So we've been in many conversations this past week about um, the reopening of Bethany First Church for coming to gather for worship. And so I want you to watch your email closely early this next week. We're going to be communicating with you about our thoughts regarding reopening BFC. So let me talk to you about anxiety this morning, okay? If Thomas Akempis was right... In the 1400s, when he said, it is good for man to encounter troubles from time to time because troubles forces a man or compels a man to search his own heart. If Akempis was right when he said, it's good for us to encounter troubles because troubles compel us to search our own heart, let me ask you, what have you learned through your times of troubles about your own self? Maybe more specifically, I should ask you, what have you learned about yourself as you've searched to your own heart in these last seven weeks? I asked you four questions last week that helped us to move toward this passage in Philippians. I wonder if you've been thinking about those. Let me repeat them to you, okay? How would you describe yourself? Do you see yourself as a joyful person, as a thankful person, as a grateful person? Or, or maybe I should ask you, how do other people see you? Would they describe you as a joyful person, as a thankful person, as a grateful person? Or would you say, Pastor Rick, there's a lot of words that people use to describe me. I don't think those are the words they would choose. Let me ask you about anxious thoughts when you have them come into your mind. Do you let them take root and do you let them grow and take over your mind? Or do you pray about them immediately? Or what about your thought life overall? Would you say, you know what, I think I have pretty good control of my thought life. Or would you say, no, no, I think my thought life controls me. And who would you point to as an example that you would say, that's who I try to pattern my life after? I think these are all great questions that moves us into this conversation about how we defeat anxiety in our life by God's grace. I've been saying to you for three weeks now that God wants to rescue you. God wants to free you from a perpetual state of anxiety. It is so important to God that throughout His Word, He gives us great instruction and great teaching about how we can overcome anxiety. So I want to go back to that book 
uh, of Philippians. The passage actually that I shared with you last week. We will finish it today. Paul writes to a congregation in Philippi. A congregation that he planted a few years ago. Now from prison. He writes back. Paul is facing uncertainties. He's awaiting sentence. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He's concerned for these young churches that he's planted. This church in Philippi is facing great persecution right now. Talk about uncertainty. And it's in this season of his life and their life that he writes these words, okay? So go with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Paul begins by saying, not woe me, or God help us, somehow he says rejoice. In other words, be joyful in the Lord, celebrate the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. When do you do that? Always. You do it in the middle of a pandemic. You do it when you're awaiting your sentence. You do it when you're being persecuted. It's always. I will say it again, he says, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about what? Anything. (laughs) But in every situation. In which situation? In every situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will literally stand guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now these are the verses we're going to focus on today. Just two sentences. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul says to the people in Philippi, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Where do you find peace? From the God of peace. This is God's word for us today. I've been thinking to myself a lot lately about anxiety. And I've been asking myself, so what are Americans anxious about? Not just during the pandemic, but just overall, what are Americans anxious about? I did a little digging and come to learn that anxious thoughts for many Americans surround finances. Um, Am I going to have enough money for the future? People are very anxious about money. People are also anxious about their health, and probably more so now than ever during this pandemic. Uh, People are anxious about relationships, um, how they are going, how they're going to turn out, where they're headed. People are also anxious about their jobs, especially in the terms of job security. Am I going to get to keep my job? So, you know, we might say, well, why are Americans anxious? Um, Because there are uncertainties in all of these areas. And I have said to you throughout this whole process, long before COVID-19, anxiety was a major issue for many, many Americans. And when COVID-19 is in our rearview mirror and long behind us, anxiety will continue to be an issue because we will always face uncertainties. Now, here's where we're going to put our energy today, okay? If God desires to free us from anxiety, which we've been saying for weeks, but we know that there always are going to be uncertainties that try to feed our anxieties, what do we do? Do we just accept the fact that we are going to live anxious lives? 
No, we put our trust in God and His Word. Let me tell you a story. I was in my car one Saturday afternoon. Annette and I were out running errands. She had gone in a store to shop. And I was listening to a TED Talk. I had no idea what the story was going to be about. But it was about a lady who was an author. She lived in New York City. She said, I went to a luncheon. I'd been invited to speak briefly at the luncheon about writing. I was seated at a table with a very nice-looking, kind, warm, friendly man who was very close to my age. He was handsome. He was also a writer. We talked about our books. I gave him one of mine. We exchanged contact information. He was also going to speak at the luncheon. I got up. I shared my thoughts. I sat down. He followed me. And he said, you know, today at lunch I was seated by a very beautiful woman. She said, unfortunately, I don't really remember what he said after that because I was so caught up with the idea that this very attractive man referred to me and thought of me as beautiful. She said, after the dinner was over and he had spoken, we said goodbye to each other. A very warm handshake, a very warm, friendly smile. We promised to stay in touch. He promised to read my book and send me his. The first email I got from him, I was excited to read. He said incredible things about my writing in my book, and he had sent me his, and I wrote back about his book. I remember wondering if there would be another email. There was. I was excited, and I responded quickly and wondered if there would be another email. I remember when that one came, I reminded myself of when I was a teenage girl in high school getting a note from a boy that I had a crush on. I grabbed my laptop and I ran to a very private place and I cherished every word that he had written and wondered if he meant more than what he was saying. I remember asking myself, I wonder if this is how affairs start. I was married, had a great husband. My husband said that we were kind of in the pots and pans stage of life. What he meant by that was that we were raising kids and by the time that we got the kids to where they needed to be and we got home and got dinner and got the pots and pans done, it was time for bed. He was right. We were in the pots and pans stage of life, but our kids were now moving out of the house and growing older. My publicist said I needed to go to L.A. That's where he lived, L.A. I said, absolutely. I sent him an email right away saying, uh, my publicist says I need to be in Los Angeles and it would be great if we could maybe see each other again. He immediately said, absolutely, let's have dinner. I remember when I told my husband I had to go, he said, Jane, you can't go on that weekend. That's my birthday. It hadn't even occurred to me. He said, it's okay, Jane, you should go. I'll go with you. We'll make a weekend of it. And so there I sat at dinner with my new friend and my husband. But I barely said two words because they hit it off so well. They were crazy about each other. They talked and they talked and they talked. And at the end of the night, my husband said to me, I can see why you wanted to have dinner with him. He is an incredible guy. And he wrote me, my friend, after the dinner saying, I can see why you married him, Jane. He's awesome. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I confessed everything, every thought, every feeling to my husband, and we began to invest again in our marriage. 
I was partly ashamed because I forgot something that someone had told me a long time ago and said, Jane, never forget this, but I've forgotten it. She said to me, remember this, Jane, as long as you live, the grass is always greener. Did you say on the other side of the fence? That's a lie. The grass is always greener where you water it. And she said, as I begin to water, as I begin to give attention, as I begin to nurture my marriage, incredible love and affection grew again. The reason I told you this story is because I think Paul is talking about watering. I think the Apostle Paul is trying to talk to us about where we're giving our attention and our energy. Here at Bethany First Church, we talk about practices. That's what we call watering sometimes. And so Paul gives us four practices in these verses. We talked about two of them last week of how we can use these practices to help us in defeating anxiety by God's grace and strength, okay? So let me just remind you of the first practice. If we're going to defeat anxiety, Paul says the first thing that is crucial is rejoicing in the Lord. We're talking about the default setting for the Christian is joyful. Paul says this over and over again in his writings. Rejoice in the Lord. Lord, be joyful in all circumstances. Not be joyful for the circumstances, but be joyful in. The default setting for the Christian is joy. Do we have seasons of lament? Yes. But the default setting is joy. We are rejoicing. People who are celebrating the Lord. Now, we don't just celebrate for no reason. We celebrate because the Lord is near. Just think about how God has been with you through this whole process. And that's why we rejoice. It's not the person who says, I'm not going to rejoice because something bad's probably going to happen. It always does. No, it's the person who says, even in the toughest times, God is near and he is with me. Okay? So, number two. Let's go back to the screen. The second practice we use in defeating anxiety, don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. That's why I ask you, when you have anxious thoughts, do you let them grow? Do you let them take root? Do you let them take over your mind? Or do you immediately begin to pray about them? So you know that there's two more, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our energy today, okay? Uh, I, I was in New York City years ago because my daughter Brittany wanted to go to New York City on a vacation as a graduation present from high school. Um, we spent a, a week walking all over that city. Um, something happened in the city one day getting on the subway with my family and another family that was with us. Um, I did not get on the subway with everybody else. I watched the doors close and my family disappear into that city. My wife called me and said, hey, Rick. Uh, and I said, I'm on the subway now. She said, get off at this particular stop. And I did. A few weeks later, I was preaching from this passage. And God spoke to me in a way that, um, that is a bit unusual. Um, what would have happened... If Annette had called me and said, Rick, where are you? We're waiting for you. And I would have said, Annette, I think I'm in Hoboken, New Jersey. And she would have said, what are you doing in Hoboken, New Jersey? I would have said, well, that's where the subway, that's where the train took me. She would have said, Rick, you don't just go wherever the train takes you. You get off at the stop that you want to get off at. 
I remember dealing with these verses and thinking about that situation. And God revealed something to me that was powerful. If you would have asked me a day before, do you know this? I would have said, I know it. But I didn't know it in my heart like I came to know it that day that God spoke so clearly to me. God said to me, Rick, you get to choose what you think about. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I know that I knew that, but I didn't really know it. I realized as a married man with two kids that I actually get to have a say in where my mind lingers. Actually get to choose what I think about. You, you understand that your mind can take you down a pretty dark track. Your mind can take you down a pretty depressing path. Your mind can take you in those late evening hours down some pretty anxious thoughts. Your mind can also take you down a pretty impure track. And the truth is, you don't have to stay on that train. You can say, I'm getting off at this stop. I'm not going any further. And so what Paul is trying to say is, and this is really the third practice in defeating anxiety, what he is trying to say to us is you have to focus on what you think about. Now, let me, let me ask you, do you think about what you think about? Because Paul is saying that you and I should think about what we think about. Because if we think about what we think about, then we probably won't keep thinking about what we're thinking about. You got it? If you really think about what you're thinking about, the chances are really good that you may not keep thinking about what you're thinking about. That's why I asked you earlier. Do you feel like that you have control of your thoughts? Or do you feel like your thoughts have control of you? I shared with you along the way that one of my biggest helps in this series has been Max Licato's book, Anxious for Nothing. And I love this quote from Licato out of his book. Here's what he says. Your challenge is not your challenge. You didn't know that, did you? You thought your challenge was your challenge. You thought your problem was your problem. Locato says that's not your problem. That's not your challenge. Your challenge is not your challenge. You want to know what your challenge is? Here we go. Your challenge is the way that you think about your challenge. Your challenge is the way that you think about your challenge. Your problem is the way that you think about your problem. That's your problem. And so... Paul is trying to say, I want to talk to you for a little bit about what you think about, okay? They tell us that the average person has 50,000 thoughts a day just churning away up there. Many of them are repeated from yesterday. And we're asking ourselves right now, under the guidance of God's Word, are we thinking about the right things? How much of my thinking is about negative stuff? How much of my thinking is about the what ifs? And what should I be thinking about? And Paul says, let me just give it to you. Let me show you the verse one more time, okay? Here's what he says. Whatever is true. A lot of lies out there. A lot of deception out there. Don't spend your energy thinking about that stuff. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble. Whatever is respectable. Whatever is right. Think about righteous, right in the eyes of God, whatever is pure as opposed to impure thoughts, whatever is lovely, winsome, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. Here's what Paul says you should do. You should think about those things. Now, look at this list with me. 
If you say, okay, Rick, I'm only going to think about these things. These are the things I'm supposed to think about. Then how much of what you're thinking about now do you have to stop thinking about? And it may be that you're going to walk away from this time that we're spending together today. And you're going to say, you know what? There's some things that I'm feeding my mind with. I'm just going to have to stop feeding my mind with. What I'm feeding my mind with is not on this list. The negative, the divisive, the struggle, the hard, the impure, it's got to go. Paul says, think about these things. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's a fight. You're going to have to fight for it. There's one more I want to talk to you about. My, my mom is 84 just in a few days. She'll be 84. I got a phone call on Saturday from my brother who said, Rick, mom has fallen. She's broken her hip. Uh, my wife Annette and I, we were in the car when we got the phone call. And uh, I remember hanging up and saying, Annette, we should pray for mom. Why don't you pray? I, I'll be honest with you. I knew I was going to be way too emotional to pray. Um, he said she was there for a little while before anybody found her on the floor at the house. It, it broke my heart. I was able to call my mom the next morning. She waited all that day and then had surgery on Monday morning. But I got to pray with her. She said, Ricky, I, I tell you, I, I, was, I was a mess. Uh, the first thing she said to me, though, really lifted my spirit. She said, uh, after I said, hey, mom, it's Rick. She said, yeah, I'm not going to let you get one up on me, meaning I broke my hip last year, so now she's broken hers. I loved the fact that she started with humor. She said, Ricky, I was a mess. I couldn't get to the phone. I was so far from it. I had to scoop myself an inch at a time. Every time I would move, I would think I was going to pass out. The pain was so great. And so I would have to wait a while and then another inch. I think it took me two hours to get across the floor to the phone. It broke my heart. Um, I got to pray with her. And when I prayed with her, um, honestly, we both just had a good cry together. Uh, I was overcome with emotion. Mom had surgery on Monday, did great, um, had to have some heart tests, all that went okay, and then uh, I've been talking to her on the phone. So I said to her on Friday morning, Mom, uh, I'm really sorry that nobody can be with you. I mean, my, my siblings were there when they transferred her from the ambulance into the hospital, and that's the last they've been able to be with her. And she said, oh, Ricky, it's harder on them than it is me. I'm okay. You know, that's the way she tends to think. I said, do you feel okay about continuing to be in the hospital for rehab in the rehab unit there? And she said, oh, my goodness, yes. She said, can you imagine if the kids were having to do all of this for me? That's, that's how she thinks. I remember saying to her, you're doing okay, right? And my precious little mama said to me, oh, my goodness. She said, Ricky, and she just started to cry. And she said, the Lord has been so close to me through all of this he has been so close i wish i had some way just to tell the world how good god is she said i think i have prayed at a deeper level than i've ever prayed in my life through this see when i think about going through adversity i think that's a good example for me i think that's a great example for me Paul says, I've been talking to you about how you think. Now let me talk to you about how you live, okay? You might do well if you had a pattern, an example to go by. In fact, here's how he says it. He's, 
And, and this is the fourth step. Well, go back to that one. I, I jumped on top of myself here. But defeat and anxiety, you put into practice what you see in others. So when I think about what I see in my mom, that's really good stuff. Now, Paul says to the people in Philippi, you've been watching me go through hard times, right? You, you're watching me here in prison. You're watching me struggle. You've watched me go through all the stuff I've gone through. So whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, you put that into practice. That's why I'm asking you, who do you pattern your life after when you think about going through adversity? So I'm going to remind you that life wasn't a bed of roses for Paul at this time. It wasn't like he was laying on some Mediterranean seashore sipping on a Dr. Pepper. No, he was awaiting life sentence in a Roman prison cell. And the people he was writing to were living in uncertainty because they were living under persecution. But not one worried about worry, not one worried about fear in his letter, not one worried about anxiety. Paul says, let's just be joyful. Let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's don't worry about anything. Let's pray about everything. Why don't we just focus on what we think about? And let's put into practice what we've seen in others who have handled it well. So let me close with this. Okay, do you know what I experienced this week? <laughs> You ready for this? Anxious thoughts. You're saying, Rick, you're serious. Yes. There will always be uncertainties that will tempt us and try to feed our anxiety. You know what I did when I experienced those anxious thoughts? I began to preach to myself. The sermon three weeks ago, the sermon last week, the sermon this week. And I begin to think in these terms. I realize this is not God's desire for me. I shouldn't be carrying this. God doesn't want me to carry it. I begin to cast it on Him. And I begin to work through these practices. And I said, you know what? I don't need to live in a state of anxiety. I don't need to carry this stuff. It's too heavy. And I gave it to God. I want to pray that for you. Father, in Jesus' name, will you give people this week... And in the weeks to come, the strength to live into these words of Scripture that we have been studying. And to not live in a state of anxiety, not to carry it. There will always be uncertainties. But let us cast our cares on you. Rejoice in you. Pray. Be aware of what we're thinking. And pattern our lives after others who have carried this load of anxiety and dealt with it well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.